Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. All right, open your Bibles if you would. First of all, to Ephesians. I'm going to jump around just a little bit. Give me the uh, the title slide if you would, please. What I want to talk about today is uh, kind of piggybacking on what Josh has been sharing over the last few weeks with us. Uh, man, I tell you, I'm so grateful for podcasts. No matter where we are in the world, we listen to the teaching here and some of the worship uh, with the podcast and the, 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 the radio station, the Internet radio station uh, that Scott and others run. We get to, to hear everything that's going on here. We're very grateful for that. Josh has been ministering through the book of Ephesians and doing an excellent job of it. And I want to touch on one thing and, uh, that we're going to focus on today, and that is the infection of New Covenant grace spreads one person at a time. You know, the, uh, the, the, the awesome uh, thing that happened uh, with Love, Alaska, where uh, a total of 20,000 people gathered together, and many came to know Jesus uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago for the first time. That, that, those kinds of things are great. They're wonderful. They're awesome. However, every person that came to know Jesus during that operation came to know him one person at a time. One person at a time. In that valley in northern Thailand, those people are coming to know Christ in large numbers, but it's still one person at a time. And this is the way Jesus began this whole thing. And there's a contagion that happens with the message of grace. Let me, uh, let me read this to you in Ephesians chapter 4. And just kind of piggybacking on some things that Josh shared with us. But I want to focus on this. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. That would actually be slide 7. I am messing it up pretty badly. And, but you'll forgive me because you have to. Uh, no, you want to. I know. And, and I give you plenty of exercise of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.11, and it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people. So these five categories of gifted ministries, their purpose is to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now... Now, this is important, I think, for us to see that, that these five categories of unique giftings serve a purpose. They each function in different ways, but they're uniquely gifted by Jesus, the head of the body, and their purpose, in however this gift mix works in their lives, their purpose is to prepare the people, the sheep, to do the work of service. That word service, by the way, is translated in most Bibles, the, uh, the work of ministry. The literal word there is diakonos. It's where we get deacon from. But in Paul's day, diakonos was what you called a waiter at a restaurant or a pub or a tavern that you would go to in his day. The person who waited on you was a diakonos. They served you. So Paul says that this is the way God has set up his kingdom, is that there are these unique special giftings, but their job is not to... Uh, to lord over people or to 
you know, suck life from the people. Their job is to prepare the people, God's sheep, so they can do works of service. And the end of this is until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now, the order in which this is done is very important. But all of this is based on Jesus' belief that the message of the kingdom of God and the grace of God Meaning Christ's spirit living in us, living his life through us, growing us from the inside out. That that message was infectious. And so we look at, at, at grace and the message of grace and what it really is. And we come up with this understanding. Let's uh, take a look at uh, slide, slide number two. New covenant grace is the airborne infection of transforming power. That spreads by human contact when we simply talk about it. Jesus has set this kingdom thing up so that the reality of the kingdom of God spreads like an infection from one person to another when we simply talk about it. Now, Jesus said at one time, talking to his disciples and trying to help them understand how this was going to work. And it was going to work differently than than it had ever worked for Israel before. Because by the time Jesus came on the scene, rather than Israel representing the heart of a good God to all the nations, they had withdrawn from all the nations. They would not involve themselves. They would not uh, eat with Gentiles. They would not uh, act with Gentiles. They wouldn't live around Gentiles. They were very isolation, very racist in their view. This is the opposite of what God had intended. God said to Abraham, through your seed, I will bless all the nations of the earth. John saw this in the book of Revelation, that when it all gets wrapped up and the king returns to inherit his his kingdom on the earth, that it will be made up of every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, that all the nations will in one way or another be blessed and there will be people from all nations, all races, all ethnicities who will make up the kingdom of God. But when Jesus came, just the opposite had happened. The Israelites of Jesus' day looked down upon every other nation. Rather than reflecting to them the goodness of the heart of God, they were isolated from them. They judged them as not being worthy of even interacting with at all, if they could get away with it. Jesus came to show his disciples that what God was up to was just the opposite. And so one of the ways he did that was he said, the kingdom of God is like yeast. We call it yeast. In the, in, in the Bible it would be leaven. But for us it's yeast. Same thing. But Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like leaven or like yeast. You take a little pinch of it. You put it in a lump of dough. And you mix it up real good. And then you just leave it alone for a while. And before you know it, the entire loaf of bread has become infected with the power of this yeast, this leaven. The whole thing has been affected and infected. And this, Jesus said, is what the kingdom of God is like. Well, how does that infection spread? Well, in Matthew 28, turn to Matthew 28 if you would. Matthew 28, Jesus says it like this. Now, you know this passage, but I want us to focus in on one particular aspect of it so we might be able to get a better handle on it for ourselves. Matthew 28, beginning to verse 18, Jesus said, Then Jesus came to them and said, Now, uh, you need to understand when this is. This is after the death, burial, resurrection. Then Jesus stays with them 
for 40 days before he ascends back to the Father. Now, we're not given much information about what the conversations were during those 40 days. I would certainly pay a lot of money if I could get the recordings of of those 40 days. That would be really, really cool. What we do know is that Jesus spent those 40 days, and and what we're told is that he he took them from Moses through all the prophets and showed them how all of that spoke about him. That's what he did. Was he showed them how everything they had believed in and what we would refer to as the Old Testament, though it was all real for them in those days, now for his disciples, all of those real things now become shadows and types that all point us to Christ, his indwelling human beings, and the kingdom of God spreading. And here's how the kingdom of God is supposed to spread. So just before Jesus leaves and goes back to the Father, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, Jesus gave this incredibly simple method. Go tell somebody. What I have told you. And if they believe, a miracle begins. You know, I frequently, because we spend so much time in our travels meeting with leaders, I frequently have very sincere, well-intended leaders who say, you're making it too simple. And my response is, thank you. And they say, no, we didn't mean that as a compliment. So I'm going to take it as a compliment. This had to be simple. My goodness, he was dealing with Peter. He had to be simple. I mean, can you imagine? Peter is the one that had the audacity to take him aside and rebuke him. I mean, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, come over here, Jesus. Let me straighten you out about what you're teaching here. I mean, this, this had to be simple. I'll tell you another reason why it had to be simple. The reading rate, the literacy rate in first century Rome was three and most of those were of the most wealthy people because they're the only ones who could afford schooling. 97% of the people alive in Jesus' day could not read. So how simple would this have to be made? God created the heavens and the earth. He sent His Son in human flesh to pay the price for you so that you could be forgiven and His Spirit now wants to come and live inside of you and live His life in and through you. Will you believe that? Yes, I will. And a miracle begins. The infection of grace begins to spread. The transformation that grace causes begins to spread from person to person. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, I want you to go into all the earth, making disciples in all nations. Now, go to uh, uh, slide chapter 3. And this is Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Now, this is Luke recording the same moment, the same conversation. The reason we have these different writers is because each of them record different parts of the conversations and the circumstances, we put them together so that we have a 
bigger picture, a more complete picture of what went on. And the Holy Spirit ensured that we would have preserved what we need for life and godliness. Acts chapter 1, we're at the same place. Jesus has risen from the grave. He spent the last 40 days with his disciples and with 500 other people at one time teaching them how all of the law of Moses and all the prophets of the Old Testament speak about him and are fulfilled in him. Now he's getting ready to go back to the Father. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still thought that what God was doing was all about genetic Israel. That's what they believed. They still believed that somehow God was only concerned with genetic Israel, and that the rest of the world, which was the overwhelming majority of all other people, they were all lost. They were all heathen. I'll show you that here in more detail in a minute. But this is the question they ask. Are you going to give Israel preeminence in all the earth? He, Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. I want to stop for a minute and say this. In both of these passages, Matthew 28 and in Luke one, or I'm sorry, Acts 1, Matthew 28, Luke wrote Acts. In Acts 1 and Matthew 28, the whole issue begins with authority. Who owns it all? That's what this is about. Jesus appears to them in, in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Because of that, go. Well, what are we going to go say? You're going to go tell people that all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And I love them. And I'll live in them and make them part of my kingdom if they'll just believe. Here he says, you guys stop worrying about dates and times. Let me say it one more time. Stop worrying about dates and times. As my grandmother, who lived to be 100 years old, died a month after she turned 100, used to love to say, since before uh, before World War I, I've heard Pentecostal preachers label two dozen different people as the Antichrist. And the one thing they all have in common is they were all wrong. (laughs) Jesus said, the times and dates are not for you. They're in the Father's hands because he has the authority. So discipleship is all about choosing to come under his authority. Making him Lord of my life. He is already Lord of everything. So this is what discipleship making is all about. And it is the, the ultra simplistic process of one person speaking about it to another and that person becoming infected by the power of the Holy Spirit, the incorruptible seed of God. So Jesus says this. Now remember, this is the same conversation. Matthew 28, Great Commission going to all the world. Luke 1, same conversation. It is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by His own authority. But, here's your job. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now listen to this. And you will be my witnesses in, now notice these words, the order here, in Jerusalem, then in all Judea, and in Samaria. Now we're already in trouble now. Because for these Jews, they hated Samaritans. Samaritans were mixed blood Jews. Samaritans were people whose parents or grandparents or great parents or great, 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 great grandparents had intermarried with non-Jewish people. So they're not pure blood. When Jesus said one time during his ministry recorded in John, when he said, 
hey, guys, we're going to go there. But on the way, we need to go through Samaria. And his disciples said, that's not even on the way. And we don't like Samaritans anyway. And Jesus said, we got to go through Samaria. That's where he met the woman at the well. That was all preordained by God because of his foreknowledge. But the disciples didn't want to go because they didn't believe they ought to be hanging around with half-breeds because they were racist. Because they had come to believe that purebred genetic Jew was the only kind of people that God loved or cared about. Now, Jesus is saying, I want you to go into Jerusalem. That's where we are now. I want you to go into all of Judea. Then I want you to go into Samaria. Finally, I want you to go into every nation. Now, now that seems clear to us sitting here. That, that, that seems relatively simple. Those are not complicated instructions. But they didn't do it. They just flat didn't do it. After Pentecost, most scholars say that within just a few weeks after the day of Pentecost, there were more than 30,000 adult Jewish believers who made up the first church, the early church in Jerusalem. And for the next four, five years, they stayed right there. I mean... This is not complicated. Guys, now listen now. You, you, want, you want to make notes on this, right? Jerusalem, then a bigger circle of Judea, then includes Samaria, and then the rest of the nations. You, you got that? But after the day of Pentecost, spirit-filled believers, tongue-talking believers, people who are supposed to do everything that they do out of the love, the agape divine love of God, and yet... The first year goes by and they don't go anywhere except right around Jerusalem. The second year goes by and they don't go anywhere except right around Jerusalem. The third year begins and they don't go anywhere around uh, except right around Jerusalem. They want to stay with people who are just like them. I mean, you don't want to get close to Gentiles. They, They smell different. They dress different. They Their music is different. They eat different food. They eat unclean foods. Shrimp cocktail. So here's what happens. Jesus told them what they needed to do. But in fact, they don't do it. So look in Acts chapter 8. Be slide 5. Acts chapter 8. Look at it in your own Bible because this is, you might want to underline this. Acts 8, verse 1. The Saul, who is mentioned here, by the way, is, uh, is the one that we know as, as Paul. Paul was his Roman name. He was born a freeborn Roman citizen. His Roman name was Paul. His Jewish name was Saul. He's not yet converted. So he's, on, he's going by his name Saul as a Pharisee. And Saul was there giving approval to his, the his refers to Stephen, to his death, to Stephen's death. The people are now going to stone Stephen because of the blasphemy of saying that Jesus rose from the dead and he is, in fact, God. Then it says, on, on that day, the day they killed Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and, what's that next word? Samaria. Now, isn't it wonderful that God's people finally decided to joyfully do the will of God? No, actually, what happened was God turned the fire persecution up so hot in Jerusalem that stay and die 
or get out. One way or another, you're going. One way or another, you that, that you are the leaven. And one way or another, you are going to get out among people who need to be infected by the message of the kingdom of God. The indwelling grace of God by His Spirit. Now, I find this interesting. Who did not go? Who did not leave Jerusalem? The apostles didn't leave. Most everybody else did. Now, do you understand? This was not a short-term missions trip. This was save my life. I'm getting out of here. But because they wouldn't willingly go, God, you know, you know, God has a ways and means committee <laughs> to get us to do what he wants to do. Now, it, so they, they, they begin to spread out. They even go to Samaria. And as they do, they begin to share the message of the gospel. The original apostles do not leave Jerusalem, even though it's dangerous. They do not leave Jerusalem. And God knows that he's going to have to break this down in their hearts. So in Acts chapter 10, we have this story that no doubt you've heard preached on before about Peter staying at a house, dinner time, he's hungry, or it's meal time, he's hungry. He goes up to the roof where there was a little terrace, patio, kind of a thing on the roof, and he was waiting for the meal to be fixed. He fell into a trance. And he had a vision in this trance vision that he had. It happened three times. The vision that he saw was a a sheet lowered down, unclean animals, you know, in the sheet. And then a voice said, rise, kill and eat. And being a good Jew, he looked at those animals and he said, oh, God, I would never eat unclean things. And the voice says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And this happens three times. As soon as the third time is over, there's a knock on the door downstairs and there's a a, a Roman soldier who has come and said, my master, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, has had a visitation from an angel and he sent me here to get you and bring me to them. And Peter is shook. He's had this vision three times and he's beginning to realize that this vision has something to do with a prejudicial aspect in his mind that he's looking at something saying it's unclean where God is saying, no, it's not. And he's going through this struggle. So then these Gentiles say, come to our house. Now, in in, in Acts chapter 10 and uh, verse 28, when he gets to the house, when he gets to the house of Cornelius, he says this. This is verse 28, Acts 10, 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Now, this is almost three years after Pentecost. Almost three years after Pentecost. And Peter, one of the leading apostles is still so locked into this racist mentality that he still is thinking like the old Jewish way had become. It's not even lawful for me to be around you because you're a Gentile. Where in the world is going to all the world and preach the gospel? I mean, this is an amazing thing when you realize that three years have gone by. And they're still utterly refusing 
to tell people Jesus saves. I mean, that's, I can't even, I can't even get a hold of that. Except when I read about our nation at the time when preachers stood in pulpits all over our country saying black people don't have souls. If you know anything about the history of slavery in our country, you'll know that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of preachers in the 1800s preached that people who had black skin had no soul. (laughs) My goodness, friends. I think you and I are all infected in some way by some sort of superiority and don't even know it. They certainly were. So Peter goes. This is an odd place. I mean, you know, how would, how would, how would you like somebody, how would you like us to invite somebody to come and speak? And the way they gave their introduction was, well, first I'd like to say that it's unlawful for me to be here with people like you. <laughs> but I did have a miracle vision three times, so I guess I better just go ahead and do this. And then it says, while he was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on him. They all began to speak in tongues, worship God, rejoice in Jesus. And then Peter looked to one of his buddies and said, well, I guess if God baptized him in the spirit, we ought to baptize him in water. He baptized him in water. When he goes back in in chapter 11, Acts 11, it says, and the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that, that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went back to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them. Man, this is rooted deep in them, deep in them. And yet the very simplicity of what Jesus wanted them to do was to simply talk to people about God's love. Talk to people about God's kingdom. Just talk about Jesus. Just talk about Him. Because there is an infection that spreads when people hear, God does love me. God does love me. Those people may not love me, but God does. And when I believe that, an infection begins to grow inside of us. Now, we have this dilemma. And we could go on and on about this, uh, this racism problem. It was, a, it, it was at least ten years after Pentecost before the door finally broke open in Antioch uh, in Syria. And the Gentiles began to flood into the kingdom of God. But I want to wrap it up with this. This major point, and that is, is, is this. When we started, we read in Ephesians 4 that there are these gifted ministries, and there are others, but these five that are listed there. And the purpose of these gifted ministries is to help equip the people of God, the sheep of God, so that the sheep of God can do the work of ministry. The result, it said, was that we will all come into maturity. The reality is, and I confess that I have been guilty of this in my past pastoral ministry, and that is that, and this is very prevalent in the West, not so much in the East, because that picture I showed you uh, that had those leaders there holding up, uh, uh, holding up the, the foundations book, the Rockstar book, most of those leaders who were leading thousands of people had only been Christians for five years or less. And the reason that there's so much going on right now in places like that, especially third world countries, is because most of them have had no Christian background at all. So they've got almost nothing to unlearn. They hear the message of new covenant grace and God's 
abounding love. And they just believe it. They don't have to raise all the arguments and get all the questions. They, they, they just believe it. They just, they just believe it as it's written. And they mature a lot faster. Now, here's the question we have to deal with. And again, this is something that I know I've been guilty of in the past. I've been guilty of telling people, well, you know, there, there's ministry for you, but you're not mature enough yet. You're just not mature enough. You need to be more mature. You need to be more mature. You need to be more mature. Now, I have to be honest and say that I, 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 now I have a struggle when I read the book of Acts. Because when you read of the three missionary trips the Apostle Paul went on, other than Ephesus, where he stayed off and on for about three years, other than there, virtually all other towns and cities that Paul went to with his team, he only stayed there, in some cases, for a few months, in several cases, just for a few weeks. And then in almost every case, a riot would break out, and Paul and his group would leave. Now, how mature could those people be? I mean, I think about our obsession, say, look, I'm, a, I'm an author, you know, so I'm not knocking books. But I think about our Western obsession today with, with maturity, with deeper spiritual truths, on and on and on and on. For example, there is an author here in the United States who wrote, about four years ago, wrote a book about prayer. He now has written 12 books in the series all about prayer. Each book has at least 150 pages or more. If I count right, that's what? Almost 2,000 pages, a dozen books, almost 2,000 pages, 1,800 pages approximately, on how to pray. 1,800 pages on how to pray. How complicated can we make this deal? You know how many books they had on prayer? None. They didn't have any. They just kind of had to throw it up there. Paul wrote in Romans 8.26, For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit in us prays according to the perfect mind of the Father, so chill out. But you can't write 12 books on that. You can't build a weekend conference on that. But this thing was so incredibly simple. If there would have been a series of 12 books on prayer, nobody could have read them. They didn't have Bibles to print. We didn't have a printed Bible for the common man until the 1500s. Well, why didn't the churches die out for lack of material? Because the church is not about head knowledge. It is not about printed page. It is about a miracle going on on the inside of people who believe that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has come to live in them. And that that is infectious when you start to tell somebody else that they can have it too. They can experience this too. Say, well, you know, give me, give me the rules that I gotta learn to join the group. You can't join the group. You have to be born into it by a miracle. You can join any other religion by simply doing the things they tell you to do. You cannot join Christianity. You have to be born into it by a miracle. There's no other way in. You can sit with them, but you can't be one of them. Unless you have the miracle of the new birth, Christ living in you and then wanting to grow up inside of you and come through you. You and I 
No matter how old we are in Christ, we have an obligation before God. And when we stop seeing it as an obligation, but start seeing it as the joy of giving birth and being parents, it becomes a wonderful thing. You know, there's rarely as much excitement in a family as when there's the announcement of a baby. When people are having a baby, everybody gets happy until the baby comes and then you have to take care of the baby. But... (laughs) That's the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God, that you and I share the good news about Jesus, the simplicity of new covenant grace, Christ living in and through. And then somebody gets infected with it and we have a new baby in the kingdom of God. And although I don't have an answer for nearly everything at all, but I can help this baby learn the basics of life in Christ. Hebrews chapter five, and we'll stop there. Hebrews chapter five. Hebrews chapter 5 is important. The whole book of Hebrews, if you're going to read the book of Hebrews, it's important to understand this. The reason it's called the letter to the Hebrews is because it was written specifically, and it's good for everybody, but it was written specifically to Jews, genetic Jews, who had converted to Christ. Now, the letter of the Hebrews deals almost entirely with helping Jews understand that all of the things that happen in the Old Testament, all the things under the law and the tabernacle and the temples, all of those things, those things were all real to those people there. But now that they are in Christ, they had to overcome the feeling that all that stuff was still real for them. Now they had to look at that and say, okay, it was real for those people, but for me now in Christ, it's a shadow. And it's all fulfilled in Christ and his people, Christ and his body. So understanding that, we come to Hebrews chapter uh, 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 5, which I know is on here somewhere. Hebrews chapter, there we go. Hebrews chapter 5, at verse 11, it says this. We have much to say about this. Now, you, gotta, you have to say, we have much to say about what? You have to understand context. If you back up, he's talking about Melchizedek. He's talking about the priesthood that did not come through. The Levites that came through this mysterious Old Testament guy who was real, uh, with Abraham and Melchizedek. And so in the middle of this letter, the writer stops and he says, we have much more to say about this, but it is hard to explain to you because you are slow to learn. Now, if I had more time, I could show you, but he is specifically pointing to the racism that was so uh, powerful in the early believing Jews. It took them years to overcome this racist attitude that somehow they were better than the Gentiles. When in fact, Paul says, God has broken down the wall between Jew and Gentile. They're all one in him if you have faith in Christ. So the writer says, I have a lot more I'd like to tell you, but you don't understand because you are slow to learn. Now listen to these words. Listen carefully. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers Yet you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of the Word of God all over again. Let me tell you what we're trying to do. These five gifted ministries, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, are gifted by God to put together the teachings, put together the materials, so that all of God's people can do what this says. Now, not all are gifted teachers. But all are called to teach. Is that what he says? By now, you should all be teaching others. 
But because you still don't get the basic elementary foundational truths, I've got to go back over them again. You should be teaching the basic elementary truths to others, he says. But because of a racist mentality for them, you're slow of learning. You will not let go of what was in the past and embrace the new. So you and I are set to, we sat here today with a tremendous opportunity. And that is that simply by talking to someone about the grace of God, we could help birth babies into the kingdom. And then we could help teach those babies the elementary truths. You don't have to make them up on your own. You've already got it in your hand. That's what teachers are supposed to do. Gifted teachers provide the materials so that the rest of us can reach out and feed the little babies. And our goal in feeding the little babies is that they would grow until they reproduce. And when they reproduce, then they feed their little babies until they grow up and reproduce. The Apostle Paul came to Derb, Philippi, several places like this, only stayed a matter of weeks. And then a riot broke out and he left town. And yet those people not only survived, they multiplied. Why? Because everybody understood this is easy. It is simple. It is not complicated. However, all of us have the obligation of infecting others by talking about God's the indwelling life of Jesus. Would you stand up with me, please? Jesus told his disciples they didn't have to pray for there to be a harvest. He said, because if you'll look around, you'll see that the wheat is all ready to be harvested. The harvest is all around you, he said. Just look. That's what we need to do. We don't have to pray for God to make people hungry. We just have to quit waiting on them to show up here on a Sunday morning. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, go to them. Go to them. Go to them. When they're birthed into his family, they'll come and join. That's fine. But we got to go to them. Especially the ones that we feel the most uncomfortable around, like those Samaritans. Let's pray. Father, we are so delighted that you have chosen to pour your love out on the whole world and that we're a part of that. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus. And at the same time, our hearts ache because there are people all around us cross our path every day who, though they may have heard about religion in Christianity, they have not yet heard of your great love. They have not yet heard of the great miracle of the new covenant of Christ living in and through. They've not yet heard that good news. Would you cause us to bump into people this week who have not yet heard the great news that you love them and want to transform them? Cause us, oh God, to be infectious in our conversation about your grace. Cause us to bump into people, Lord, who are hurting so that we might be able to to bring the great healer into their lives simply by talking about this so that the infection of grace can spread. And we'll feed them, Lord. If you'll help us birth them, we'll feed them. And they'll turn around and help birth more. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Listen, have a great week. Have a great time this week. Keep your eyes open because the fields are already white to harvest. They really are. Yeah, and yeah, 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 thank you. Listen, when we talk about each one should be teaching one, these discipleship materials, they're free. We're not asking you to pay for these. Many of you have already given so we could do the first printing, and we're deeply grateful for that. But there's nothing holding us back, folks, except reaching out to one, just one, just one, over a cup of coffee. Make Starbucks or Kaladi's a holy place by discipling people there. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.